Hi everyone! Welcome to this series of interviews done by Arkin Digital Health. I'm Nadav Shimoni. I'm leading digital health investments for Arkin. In this series of interviews, we're going to bring leaders and seasoned executives coming from different parts of the U.S. healthcare system, hopefully to allow you, entrepreneurs, investors, and anyone trying to tap into the U.S. healthcare system to gain some insights, some value, some understanding how to do that better. In this episode, we had Darren Dvorkin with us. Mr. Dvorkin is currently the Chief Strategy Officer at Press Ganey perhaps one of the market leaders of digital engagement solutions for providers, payers, and life science companies. Before joining Press Ganey, Darren was the chief information officer at Cedar sinai Health System, while also leading Cedar's Ventures and Cedar's Accelerator. Prior to joining Cedar sinai he held the position of chief technology officer at Boston University Medical Center. During this conversation, we talked about what companies should prepare and consider to improve their chances to have a successful interaction with the IT department and the chief information officer of hospitals and health systems. We touched the venture side of health systems and how it is changing in this current market, pros and cons to adding provider as a strategic investor, and as a topping on the cake, we actually try to understand what do patient engagement and digital front door actually mean. Let's get started. Mr. Darren Dvorkin, it's a pleasure having you with us. How are you? I'm doing great. Good morning. It's great to be speaking with you. Like with you know other conversations, we really love to start while thinking about your, your career and maybe if you can mention a point or two that were meaningful for you in your journey so far. Sure, I would be happy to. Of course, uh, the farther I think back in, the career, in my career, the older I feel. Um, <laughs> listen, I, I think uh, many of us who uh, have had the chance at success can always look back at our careers and find one or two points that were pivotal. Uh, for me, um, I think the first point I'll talk about is something relatively early in my career, well before I ever imagined anything in healthcare and certainly in healthcare IT. I worked for uh, a company by the name of Unisource, which was a division of Georgia Pacific. And what I really learned in uh, that time that I was there is I worked at the head office and part of my job was to travel around the country and visit branch offices uh, all over uh, the uh, the, all over Canada and partially into the United States. And one of the things I learned really early on was nobody was ever excited to see the person from head office. Uh, but what I really learned underneath that was the important value of building and creating consensus and finding common ground with leaders that you needed to do work with. And at the end of the day, it didn't really matter whether you thought you were right or they thought they were right. It was about sort of finding a compromise uh, and a consensus where people Uh, could really sort of understand. As I slowly uh, began to uh, find other opportunities and eventually found my way to an academic medical center, um, I will tell you that uh, the ability to find consensus, the ability to be able to build a coalition, be, the ability to bring stakeholders together, uh, I think is a very, very valuable thing within healthcare, which probably brings me to the really the second pivotal point in my career. Uh, which was I was very fortunate uh, to get an opportunity at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles um, at probably one of the best times. Um, they were really uh, at the intersection of really trying to understand how they want to leverage digital. And I was very fortunate to be at an organization that not only was willing to embrace digital, but really was interested in how they can leverage technology to advance the organization at a pace and uh, in a direction farther and deeper than others have gone. And so I think those two things have uh, certainly shaped my career and certainly shaped my impression 
of the American health system and uh, its use of uh, health technology. That's that's great. And and speaking about embracing digital solutions and and finding this common ground with uh, the relevant stakeholders. I mean, you mentioned Cedar Sinai, which is one of the leading academic medical centers in the country. And I'm just curious, uh, throughout your your time there, um, both on the uh, information side as a chief information officer, and also as part of the accelerator and the venture business of Cedar Sinai. How do you think about you know a successful interaction with a hospital or a health system? What can what can help a company um, to excel in these sort of interactions? You know, um, one one of the stories that uh, I like telling people is uh, it was so long ago um, that I joined Cedar Sinai and uh, uh, was a part of their pursuits with the implementation of electronic medical records and other such things that back then we actually uh, referred to the goal as the go live which really sort of makes me laugh when I think about it, because um, how could the goal have been simply to turn on the piece of software? Um, you would think that anybody could turn on a piece of software. Uh, it turns out what's really, really hard is getting people to use the software um, and to use it in an effective way that's integrated tightly with sort of workflow. And so, you know, to the broader point of, of sort of your question, um, you know, I think in the very early days, um, academic medical centers, hospitals across the United States, um, we're pursuing technology as a almost an experiment, almost sort of in a research early adopter way. Um, and frankly, back then, uh, people were marveled that if it worked and uh, you were able to install it, then it was considered a success. And there was people in uh, a command center of some sort, uh, usually a, a small office and were deep within the IT department that would high five each other. Um, and, you know, folks would sort of move on. Uh, fast forward to where we are today, uh, very appropriately so. Our expectations are much, much higher. Um, you know, this technology is expensive and we're not looking for technology for technology's sake. What we're really looking for is to integrate deeply with workflow and frankly, in many cases, change the workflow um, such that we're really approaching the world um, set up for digital interactions. Um, and candidly, that's really where the hard stuff uh, happens. And And for me, Again, I was very, very fortunate uh, to be at a time uh, at Cedar sinai not just uh, when the medical staff and the faculty and the nurses and the, you know, the rest of the care team uh, were not only interested uh, in what technology can do for them, uh, but they were readily embracing it uh, in a way uh, that was demonstrating a willingness to change the way they worked and rethought uh, what they were doing um, such that technology could truly be an enabler and an accelerator of the overall delivery and the mission of the organization. I see. And and you mentioned workflow integration and, and changing the workflow, which we all know how hard uh, might be. And, and and as the chief information officer, I, I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, what keeps the chief information officer up at night? What can help? I mean, the goal here in this conversation is to provide value for our listeners who are mainly you know entrepreneurs and companies trying to work with different parts of the U.S. Uh, health system. So what can help them to convince chief information officer they should spend time with them? They can, you know, work with them and so forth. So I spent almost 20 years as a CIO. And uh, in the early part of my CIO career, I used to joke with people that I'm a really good sleeper and nothing kept me up at night. Uh, then, of course, uh, my two young children, my daughters became teenagers in L.A. And then I had lots of reasons uh, to have trouble sleeping. Uh, but uh, my my personal jokes aside about my family life, uh, the reality is the landscape has changed a lot. Um, and I watched uh, quite a few phenomena happen. 
the first uh, is a little bit of an ebb and a flow. And uh, fortunately, I think we're finding ourselves a little bit these days uh, in the ebb of that, which is as economic cycles move up and down, uh, there's different levels of pressure on the economics, on the spending, and ultimately in the need to find an ROI. Back to my uh, comment about the early days of the EMR implementation at Cedars that I was a part of, uh, the reality is that I wasn't held accountable uh, particularly deeply to an ROI. Uh, I don't think that would be the case today if a large organization, a large hospital, a large health provider was looking to uh, have major implementation like that. And so I think that you have CIOs uh, that go through different periods, but today, uh, very, very much spending costs, controlling costs, understanding how to control costs is uh, first and foremost most uh, sort of on their uh, on, on their brains and really sort of what they're thinking about. The second thing that has dramatically changed, uh, which probably doesn't need a lot of explanation and sort of on my part, is the landscape of cybersecurity. Um, you know, there are literally people waking up in the morning, trying to knock on doors, uh, digital doors of uh, health systems, uh, trying to understand if there's vulnerabilities. Um, and you know the challenges are that uh, generally speaking, uh, large health delivery systems um, are very comprehensive distributed networks that were built around the idea of information sharing and collaboration with colleagues across the country and the world. And those don't lend themselves to a tight uh, information security perimeter uh, that is easy to protect. And so uh, in a look uh, at the end of this month, uh, we have a series of regulations, which can be a different conversation for a different day, different day about information sharing and data blocking. Uh, those rules by themselves are really fundamentally built around the tenant of healthcare information, uh, which is that it should be shared. It should be liquid, it should be available, it should be owned by the patient, all great, great um, ideas, but makes it hard to protect the information. So I think today's CIO um, wakes up in the morning worried both about security, first and foremost, um, and second, uh, really uh, the, the economics and the spending and how all of these good ideas um, are not only going to be prioritized, but quite frankly, paid for. Understood. And maybe, I mean, Maybe doubling doubling down a bit on this on this particular uh, angle because I think many companies experience at least initial interest or some initial progress. I mean, with a potential buyer, a health system, or a hospital, and then the process goes into IT um, and maybe procurement, and, and and many times you know starting to delay and maybe eventually go sideways. A any any best practices how people can you know overcome that or think they should take in mind from the get-go? Yeah, you know, uh, listen, uh, I, I will uh, try to maybe take up the mantle a little bit and uh, defend my former colleagues, uh, the, the CIOs who uh, I think sometimes can get uh, cast with a reputation of being the no police. I mean, look, here, here's the reality, and I think it's embedded, Nadav, in the question that you, that you framed. Uh, a lot of early stage companies start by working with a buyer, and that's where I would correct. Uh, the reality is, a lot of early stage companies don't end up working with a buyer, underlying buyer. What they end up working with is an interested party. And there's lots of interested party. I mean, think about it. Health systems are filled with scientists. Scientists, by their very nature, are intellectually curious. And what do they love to do? They love to experiment. And I think what happens is early stage companies sometimes confuse their interaction and their connection with a scientist 
with somebody who is an early adopter and interested in experimenting or playing or researching or seeing if something will work or satisfying their curiosity or scratching an itch for a problem that they've always wanted to work on, which is very, very different than working with a buyer or somebody that has a budget. And so what I always advise folks to do is just make sure you understand what you're looking to do. If your primary goal is to validate your functionality of what you're doing because you're in such the early stage that you want to make sure that indeed something is operating the way you thought it is, then any interest is good interest and any experimentation and any use is good use because you end up with some validation. But at a certain point, hopefully very quickly, you move past that and you now start to need to be able to to prove commercial viability and commercial traction. It's very important and admittedly much harder to move past finding the first interested experimenter and moving to somebody that has a budget. And I think it's um, you know uh, incumbent on both parties uh, to make sure that they're asking the right questions and they're seeking the right types of individuals to work with. I love it. I mean, it's so, so important. And, and you, you mentioned forming a coalition and maybe having the relevant buyers around the table to make a decision. So maybe, I mean, there's another question coming from a different angle. You were part of the venture activity at Cedar sinai of the Accelerator, and now within your current role at Press Ganey, you're also part of the, you know, the investments over there. Having the health system as an investor or, or having them with the investor hat as well, is it something that helps the company? Would it you know, improve chances to onboard them? I know some have a prerequisite that the health system will be um, a buyer first and then they will invest. How do you look at that perspective of, of a health system as an investor? I think it's changing. Um, I think we've gone through a couple of cycles. Um, in the first cycle that I was a part of, uh, let's call that um, starting 10 years ago and ending about five years ago, what you really saw was uh, organizations, health systems uh, that had really experimented and worked hard to either develop their own solutions in-house, not always a, uh, an, e- an easy path, again, another conversation for another day, um, or um, they had worked with vendors and perhaps our partners and not had gotten as deep as they wanted to. Um, and so you found a lot of very willing, exciting individuals that were ready to jump in and be sort of knee deep with early stage companies and help figure it out. And all they wanted in return was to have the solution in the marketplace so they can quote unquote, buy the solution. Uh, Unfortunately for startups, that period ended relatively quickly uh, as health systems began to watch some of the early companies that partnered with health systems, quite frankly, make a lot of money. Um, and the health systems wanted to capture that value. They wanted to be a part of it. So we then entered the next period uh, where it was frankly hard to find a health system that didn't have a venture fund or some sort of investment vehicle. And in return for their sweat equity, in return for their participation in quote unquote, figuring it out, they wanted to have a part of the financial upside. We're actually now entering a period where it turns out, uh, you know, in the classic world of the grass is always greener on the other side, a lot of health systems realizing, you know what, it's really kind of hard to uh, pick winners and losers. It's really hard to uh, run a venture fund. It's really hard to manage investments. That doesn't mean it's come to an end. 
but I think it's finding uh, a much, much different equilibrium. And I would contend that combined with today's economic conditions, combined with interest rates and cash positions, uh, you're really finding sort of a new normal uh, where I think you'll end up with a few health systems that will still continue to do that. I'm proud that Cedar sinai is uh, certainly one of those on the West Coast. Um, but I think for the most part, uh, there's uh, organizations that uh, I think it's a new time uh, that you can come with different experimentations and different ways other than just investing. And what I always tell uh, early stage companies um, is it's really, really important uh, to get an anchor client or two. The reality is that there's a lot of startups. There's a lot of companies. And, um, you know, I think fortunate for all of us, there's no shortage of great ideas. And so one of the ways that I used to use and one of the ways I still use to determine an idea that's rising to the top is I cheat. I ask for others to help sort of narrow that field or narrow sort of that scope. And the way I do that is I watch their interest. So if there's an early stage uh, company that has two or three anchor customers, and I respect those customers, and I know what they're doing, and I know the way they think, that's probably one of the first companies that I'm going to look like or look at. And so I know that sometimes people think, you know, do these press announcements, do these partnerships, do they really sort of matter? And I think when you're in an early stage, they do matter because they offer a little bit of validation. Understood. And and I think you were alluding, you know, to the change of uh, the current market, and we're seeing couple of significant health systems actually uh, finishing the quarter uh, with red and and part of that red actually comes from their investment activity they're writing off valuations and so forth um so that's a very interesting dynamic to to follow but again maybe and and, and trying to make your life a bit a bit harder i mean when seeking for a, for an answer when do you think is the right time to consider a health system as an investor? I mean, having them as customers, obviously, is, it's, it's great. But when do you think companies should pursue that path? Yeah, well, two pieces. I'll, I'll just go back to sort of the, the premise of the question. Um, I, I totally agree that uh, it is a difficult time out there. Um, operating margins are squeezed. Uh, labor costs are higher than we've ever seen them. Other input costs are about as high is uh, is recent memory, and so um, you know I think it's resulting in a lot of health systems um, who were already operating on very very thin uh, margins uh, finding themselves unfortunately in sort of negative territory. Um, I'm not so sure it's the exact losses within venture uh, that is sort of pushing uh, some of those uh, further pressures, but certainly um, you know we've had a lot of uh, years of very successful stock market and very successful investment returns. Um, and it's very possible that uh, there's been a few health systems out there that were relying on those investment returns to help cover some operating losses. And certainly that's not a safe harbor anymore. And so um, the, the economics and the landscape of that have uh, absolutely dramatically changed. Uh, to your direct question, though, about what makes a health system a good investor, um, for me, it's very simple. Um, and that is that as hard as this answer might be to hear, it's not about the money. Um, at the end of the day, um, if you have a good idea, if you have a good management team, if you have uh, a good structure that put in place, you will find the investment dollars. Um, so it's not about uh, finding a health system for purposes of investment dollars. What you want from the health system is an active, interested party that will use your application, not even so much that you're going to get that initial press release 
But I assure you, the healthcare world is tiny. Everybody seems to know everybody. And if they don't know everybody, they can only be one or two degrees off of uh, an introduction. And so delivering value and being implemented and used every day in a value-added way within a health system is the single best advertisement, endorsement, and ultimate sign of credibility that you can achieve. And so if uh, having a health system as an investor is a faster path towards deep and meaningful use, uh, then I think it's a great idea. If having an investor is, quote unquote, just money, um, which certainly I understand in the early stages of starting a company, especially these days, uh, might be easy for me to say just money. But, um, you know, if, if, if it is uh, around sort of the investment, then there's, there might be sort of easier ways. And frankly, uh, there might be uh, investors that um, have less demands or less expectations around them. And um, so, you know, you should always pursue all avenues. Uh, but I, I, I would just sort of double back and say that with regards to health systems, it's more important to get their use than it is to get their investment. Crystal clear. Okay, terrific. Maybe switching to, to a different topic also relates to usage by health systems. Let's spend some time on, on digital front doors and patient engagements. I mean, you mentioned digital front doors. And right now within Presgeny, I think it's safe to mention that Presgeny is maybe one of the nation, national leaders in, in creating these digital experiences for patients or for users of different organizations. How do you think about this expression, patient engagement or, or digital front door? I mean, we see so many companies offering things that are related or directly um, mentioning they are de facto digital front door. How do you look at this current uh, market uh, angle? Sure. Well, look, I, I think the first part is uh, uh, one of the things we definitely have gravitated towards uh, within uh, healthcare IT is buzzwords. And so uh, the early days was patient engagement. And uh, I still can't figure out whether it's that there's 9 million patient engagement companies or everybody has found a way to say their company is involved in engaging patients. Um, <clears throat> maybe it's a little bit of both. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but, you know, I, I think uh, we all fundamentally know what the word patient means and we know what the word engagement means. But a funny thing happens when the two words come together. Uh, it could start to mean lots of different things. And the truth is probably uh, uh, the, the truth is also probably the, the same thing around digital front door. Um, I think the original concept around both patient engagement and digital front door uh, was the idea that, hey, what we really needed to do was start to understand and we really need to start to focus a little bit more on what it is the journey of the patient or the consumer is as they're approaching our health system, especially in the age where convenience and the idea of reducing friction uh, is uh, becoming more and more important. For me, um, and to answer your question a little bit more directly, I'll tell you honestly a little bit about my own journey. Um, I had uh, developed a very, very strong focus um, in my latter couple of years when I was at Cedars-Sinai as the chief information officer, really on our digital strategy, uh, another set, another buzzword or another set of words that could be a buzzword. Um, and what I think I, I came to the epiphany was, is at the end of the day, the digital strategy for me was not focused so much on being digital, although that was absolutely an ends to a mean. Um, really what it was about was creating a new and better experience for patients and consumers. 
And the story that I like, like to tell people is when I was at Cedarson, I had lots of access. I knew lots of doctors. I had lots of friends who sort of worked at the health system. Uh, and in the early days, uh, pre-COVID, if everybody can sort of even imagine this, um, the big thing was uh, helping get my kids and my wife a flu shot. Um, and to make it really convenient, they would come meet me at the hospital um, and I would go to uh, a particular doctor's office that I was very good friends with. And we would all get our flu shots together. And that was like the easy activity. And then the following year, when I called my wife to say, hey, listen, are we going to do the flu shot thing? She said, oh, it's already done. I said, what do you mean it's already done? She said, oh, we just went to CVS and we all got shots. And I thought to myself, look, no matter how convenient with access that I was able to make it, it turned out the system itself came up with an even more convenient. And really what happened was my family made the value choice that the sophistication of a flu shot was low and the convenience was very, very high. And so a different choice was made. And I think that as we start to look at the evolution of healthcare, and especially as it starts to break up into different pieces with more choices and more options for patients and consumers, it's going to be important of course, to maintain quality and value and all of the important things that we rely on, especially with acute and chronic conditions, but reducing friction, adding convenience and focusing on the experience um, to me is a really, really important thing. And for me, um, you know, I, I made the choice to jump in with both feet to Prescani. I couldn't be happier. Um, and it's an organization that I think is perfectly positioned. Uh, to really help organizations not only understand where they are in their own uh, experience that they're creating for their employees and for patients and for consumers, but most importantly, giving them path to fix it and begin to truly improve. And do you think, I mean, maybe as a follow-up question on that perspective, that a company that offers a very concrete, should I say niche solution regarding a certain element of this friction, has a chance against a company that offers a full suite of solutions or any way they can really differentiate or position their, their offering against a broader offering? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll answer the question along sort of two lines. So my first answer is uh, for listeners who are uh, financially focused, investment focused, uh, exit focused, um, here, here's, you know, my sort of viewpoint on it. Um, you need to understand that in healthcare IT, there's not a lot of home runs and there's very few grand slams, but there's a lot of singles and doubles. So forgive the baseball analogy, but really what I'm trying to say is that um, there's a lot of exits that are going to happen uh, between 50 and 100 million. If you're looking for a $10 billion exit, um, it happens, but it doesn't happen as frequently in health IT uh, as it does in many other sectors of digital investment. And so if, you're, if your focus is around building an amazing niche product and relatively quickly, let's call it within two to five years, um, having an exit for the company um, in and around $100 million, then yes, um, building a great solution, uh, even building a great, building a, a company around a single product is a viable path and there's lots of examples. But if you take it from a different angle of if you're a health system, if you're a buyer, if you're a payer, if you're in life sciences, the reality is it's not sustainable. Uh, there's only so many point solutions that one can have. And listen, uh, with all of the great advancements in APIs and new architectures and 
uh, all these wonderful ways in which technology can automatically sort of mesh together. And at the end of the day, it's not about information sharing. I honestly think uh, that some folks have sort of have it wrong. Certainly, there should never be any blocking. But um, it's not about the information sharing. It's about an integrated workflow. It's about ease of use and ease of maintaining. And I think with the economic cycle that we're about to enter into, uh, fewer vendors uh, will be more common than many niche vendors. Uh, and I think the, the bar uh, in terms of your niche solution having a win or uh, sort of getting sort of traction sl got slightly higher over the last few months. And I think um, uh, is going to get sort of a little bit higher. That being said, um, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm sort of balancing my comments as I'm sort of listening to myself, give you sort of the answers. Uh, you know, one of the things I would always tell folks when I was at Cedar sinai and one of the things I tell people today when I'm at Prescani is that uh, neither organization, both of which are amazing organizations, I can tell you firsthand having spent time there, they do not have an exclusivity on all good ideas. And so the innovation, the thought leadership, the creativity that comes from entrepreneurs, bar none, uh, is needed. And not only is it needed in our industry as a whole, it is especially needed in a healthcare industry that, listen, is doing amazing things. I don't think you can find a group of harder working and more dedicated people within healthcare delivery in the United States, but we could use more. Um, and some of that is going to happen uh, from, I think, amazing ideas and big technology. Great, 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 great. And and maybe, I mean, as a segue to a last question, perhaps, and you mentioned these dynamics about reducing frictions and maybe patients as customers looking for a more convenient experience like they're having from different places. We just heard about, you know, CVS acquiring Signify. We heard about Amazon acquiring One Medical. Lots of interesting dynamics that revolves that digital health industry. What, in your perspective, are kind of like the two or three major trends we're seeing right now, maybe creating opportunities, maybe creating challenges for companies? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, first, uh, only because I can't help myself, um, I am thoroughly confused by Amazon's acquisition of One Medical. And so uh, uh, only because uh, I want to be able to point back to this podcast because it will be dated and archived and I can prove it uh, to uh, you at a cocktail party sometime in the future. I just don't see how that relationship is going to work out. Um, it, it is, uh, it's hard to imagine a high growth technology company really digging into what ultimately is a low margin primary care business. But uh, that wasn't really your question. I was just using this as an excuse to time date uh, a prediction. I, I think the reality is that what you're going to see um, coming sort of ahead is a lot of experimentation and a lot of trial and error. Because my answer for you is a big non-answer. I think that we've never been in a period of more uncertainty and more questioning in terms of what the right fit is at this time. And while that may sound like a uh, ominous place to be, I would go back and say uh, it also creates the most fertile ground for experimentation, for invention, for creative ideas. And there's probably never a better time to be an entrepreneur in healthcare focused on the U.S. market than right now when there's a ton of trouble, a ton of uncertainty, and people are looking for a new 
comfort, a new island, a new lily pad to hop on, on their way to what will be the solution. And, you know, I'll use the lily pad example because you don't need to invent or think of the one big thing that will change healthcare forever. Um, Healthcare has been characterized by a steady state of incremental change. And I think as long as you can sort of deliver a new solution, a new idea that heads in that direction, I think you're going to end up with a really uh, receptive audience. And my bet is that over the next two or three years, when we look back, uh, the types of companies and the types of organizations and startups that have shown the most success were things that weren't in the market at this point in time, uh, but came to the market to address the new ways and the new challenges, labor shortages, pressures on ROI that we've never seen before, friction in the market, fragmentation of individuals sort of buying various pieces like the Amazons and the CVSs, um, tremendous amount of pressures to deliver uh, acute and chronic care in academic settings that have sort of um, a business model that's becoming more and more challenging to sort of really understand. Uh, you know, a, a population that's more mobile than they ever been before. Um, frankly, um, you know, the prevalence of disease still is as high as uh, we've ever sort of seen. And so I just think a combination of all of those things coming together um, really creates a tremendous amount of opportunity. I only wish I was smart enough to guess what they were, um, but uh, I suspect what I'm going to do is have the privilege uh, in working with folks like yourselves and others um, that as you know these solutions come to the market, um, we'll have a lot of opportunity uh, to maybe help work with them and help them scale. And, and of course, I'm, I'm biased, but I, I couldn't agree more regarding the timing. And I think it's super, super interesting time to be in healthcare, so much to do. So many opportunities, but obviously, you know, challenges like always and like in other industries, I guess, um, with their own unique characteristics. Darren Vorkin, thank you so much for for having you. It was such an insightful and and educational conversation. I wish we can have more time and I think we can spend a lot more about different topics and different points you've, you've touched in your meaningful journey so far. But uh, hopefully our listeners will gain value from this conversation. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. It's a privilege to be invited. And uh, thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and gained some real value from it. And we would love to have your thoughts, feedback, and anything else. Links are available in the description. See you next time.